Hi everyone, you're very welcome to Holy Trinity. For those who don't know me, my name is Rob, and the rector, a pastor here in the church. We're going to crack straight into our talk this morning with something that happened to me during the week, which uh, was quite random, but uh, I think it speaks into something I want to look at today. I spent a lot of my time in the Swan Centre, which is the local shopping centre down in Rat Mines, for those who don't know. And I bumped into someone during the week. He's a tradesman. He works in the local area. And I said, hey, Fran, it's great to see you. Happy Easter. And he just looked at me and said, are you completely mental? And I said, Fran, what's, what's wrong? And he said, isn't Easter just one day? And I said, well, actually, it's not, Fran. It's much longer. And that's phase just zoned out and basically backed away into a shop. But it did get me thinking, joking apart, about this idea of, for most of us, we think Easter is just one day. The church was packed last week with a few hundred people here. It was a great celebration, great baptism, communion. Our team did a brilliant job in facilitating that. But it's very important to realize, and for most of us, we can miss this, that actually Easter is not just one day, it's actually a really important season in the life of the church. And depending on where or how you are brought up, that might mean nothing to you, it might mean everything to you, it might mean something to you. But Easter, the season of Easter, started last Sunday and goes on for seven weeks till the beginning or thereabouts of June when we celebrate the day of Pentecost. Now, why does that even matter? And why is that a story or something to start off with? Well, it matters very deeply because in this season, and it's not just liturgical churches, traditional churches as, as, as well as non-denominational, this season after Easter is usually the time that the church begins to really look at what the resurrection means. It, it, it can't just be a five or six minute homily as I talked very briefly and at a high level about joy last Sunday. It can't just be one five-minute sermon. This seven-week period is where we mine deeply the resurrection and we struggle with it and we find the questions in our heart bubbling up around that. But the main aspect is that we're called to engage with it, and we're called to track through it wherever we are on that trajectory of faith. And so this season of Eastertide is really important, and we're starting a new series as we look at the resurrection and look how it impacts our lives. And our reading today that we've had at the 8.30 and the 10 o'clock service is all about someone who struggled with the resurrection it's all about someone who had heard the stories from his friends, but actually really struggled with the reality and the outworking of that in his life. The reading is from John, 19, John 20, 19 to 30. Let me read it out. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, this guy I'm talking about, he was also called the twin. One of the twelve disciples was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of his nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I won't believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And that's us. That's in our time, the ones who have not seen Jesus, but choose to believe. Now, in this passage, I want to really teach it today uh, before we head out into the coming week. In this passage, there are two things going on. One is a superficial level, and one is an important message, but it's, it's really not the deep message. Let me tell you a story to try and underpin what's going on at the superficial level. When Ethan was four, Ethan's not here today, but I did ask his permission to tell this story. Pastors have to be careful about telling stories about their children, that's for sure. So when Ethan was four and Alana was about two, we were up in friends' houses in Belfast, and they lead a church up there. He is a chaplain, Barry is a chaplain, and his wife Claire is his wife, and they work up in Queens, Belfast. And to cut a long story short, we were visiting them, we were having a meal with them, and Barry said after the meal, would you like to come and see the church that I'm leading? Now, their house is totally uh, beside the church, and it's joined by this big, thick, black door. This big It's supposed to be a fire door, but when I think of it, how unsafe is that? Because only adults can open it, but that's another story. So Barry said, let's let's go into the church. And so Ethan, Alana, and Barry and Claire's kids were playing uh, where we were having a meal. And we walked into the church, young parents, and we just walked in and the door closed behind us. No, it didn't catch anyone's fingers, don't worry. But the door closed behind us and we went looking about the church and we went and Barry was telling us all the things they'd done recently in the renovation and it was wonderful. And then about 20 minutes later, probably closer to 40 actually, Dilla said to me, where are the children? And I was like, I don't know where the children are. They're your responsibility, not mine. I, I, you know, I just pay the bills around here. Uh, so anyway, there was an argument, and um, we retraced our steps. Ethan, Alana, Ethan, Alana. And then we got to this big, heavy door, and we could hear, we put our ears to the door, and we could hear, Daddy, where are you? Why have you left me here? Ethan, Alana, Alana and Ethan were very upset, actually, and so were Barry's kids, and we'd, we'd left them in there. And so we're dreadful parents, aren't we? Not much has changed since then. Anyway, we opened the door, and the reason I'm telling this story is when we opened the door, Ethan just ran into my arms, and he said, Oh, Daddy, it's just great to see you. And I was so f scared, and I was so afraid, and I was so nervous. 
And um, Dillis was shaking her head in the background. And I just gave this big hug and I said, look, I'm really sorry. Now, a little bit of like what was going on in the minds and hearts of Ethan and Alana, Park the Bad Parenting, was happening with the disciples in the upper room in that they were locked in a room, they felt separated, they felt alone, they felt isolated, they felt all sorts of emotions going on, and they were locked because of fear. Now, we could just leave the text at that level, a nice little sort of story about God breaks through the doors of our lives, God knows that we're, when we're alone. God knows when we need his care. God knows when we need his peace. God knows. And that's all totally true and a very important part of this passage. It's often just preached on at that level, that superficial level, which is an important level because we all need that peace which God breathes upon us and his spirit which he gives to us. However, there is a much deeper level going on in this passage, which is what leads to the true struggle, which what leads to Thomas and this story about Thomas. You see, in John's Gospel in particular, there are two, sometimes more than two levels of meaning going, along, going on in any passage. There's metaphor and there is, there is mining to be done in the passage, and most of us read the Bible on a superficial level. Busy lives, that's often the case. But actually, when you spend time with it, that's when it really begins to bring its most meaning out to us. And that's when it really begins to be the most challenging, as it was for Thomas. And why was it so challenging for him? Well, what was going on in this passage, and we can miss it because of our own context and where we are in 2019 Dublin. But there's something very important in the first line of the passage which speaks very clearly to what this deeper meaning is. John says in the section of scripture, on the first day of the week. So what was the first day of the week? What does that mean? Well, what John was trying to do, because the readers were mostly Jewish, when the first day of the week was mentioned in a holy text, particularly one that was Jewish, remembering that the early Christians were a Jewish sect, the first day of the week brought the reader back to Genesis 1. It brought them back to the very beginning of creation. Genesis 1, 1 to 5 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called light. And there was evening, and there was morning, and this was the first day. And so the reader of the time, when they hear that, and when they read that, when it was read out to them, automatically they're thinking about this first day of creation. A new creation was happening in this upper room. And so when the reader heard it, it wasn't just this superficial idea that God brings us peace, which is really important, as I say. John was making a link to the first day of creation when everything changed. Now in Jesus, there is a new creation, a new first day. Genesis, a creation locked up in the chaos, and God brought light out of the darkness in the power of the Spirit. Now Jesus... There's a new Genesis, 
but it's locked up, and Jesus brings light out of darkness, and the Spirit brings order into new life. See, the Bible's amazing, and when you spend time with it, you realize that there's so much more than the superficial level. N.T. Wright says this about our passage today. In John 20, 19-31, we see a new creation which was launched in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and continues to make its way in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, which leads to the renewal of the present world rather than its abandonment. Wow. Essentially, this passage wasn't just that one level of God meeting us, those personal needs which are really important, but actually this was Jesus breaking through the metaphorical doors of a whole structure of religion that was keeping men and women away from truly knowing God. He was bringing light out of the darkness of the atrocities that had gone on for generations in God's children being separated. God was bringing order out of the chaos of what was happening when people were locked up and unsure of who they were. Now in us, there is an interplay between these two levels. The surface of experiencing God and the deeper level of the activity of God. The activity of God in your life and in the world and that the resurrection changed everything for you. Everything. The world, the universe, how you parent, how you work, how you live. And that is something which really we, we struggle with that. When it percolates into our heart, when it goes deeper, it challenges everything about ourselves. Not just a nice story about peace, but it demands the question, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one who was resurrected? Has he changed everything? And that's what John's trying to do in the reader, and that's what he's trying to do today. Do you really believe that? Do you really live that out? The Bible talks constantly about drawing the reader into the deep place. Jesus said to the disciples, go out into the deep water and cast your nets. While Gina was singing today, Peter was in the boat in the deep water. The deep water or the deep places are going deep into the Word of God. That's where we struggle and that's where most growth happens. No true growth happens on the surface level or if it does, it is almost trite or changes quite quickly. You see, Jesus breaking through the door is not just into our lives to bring us a sense of God's presence in hard times. It's also breaking the doors down of everything that went before so all can have access to God and Jesus. Peace be with you is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that you have during a song. It's about the restoration of your very being, of who you are. Breathing the Holy Spirit is not just a comfort that you are not alone. It's a reminder that the breath of God lives in you and that becoming a Christian or being a believer reminds you you are a son of daughter of all of creation. Wow. It's too much for me, Rob. This is a bit heavy, right? This is, this is you know, give me the message about peace and presence and give me that sort of idea of the broken or locked doors in my life. But John is really trying to get to the heart of how we view life in this passage, how we live life and what we do through life. And we doubt this. This is what was happening to Thomas. This is 
not just the fact that God broke in and gave peace to his disciples, what he was really struggling with is was Jesus really the one? Is Jesus really the one who's the Messiah who rose from the dead? He had heard the stories of Jesus being raised from the dead. So have we. But he had to get this for himself, and the same is true for us today. And the beautiful thing is Jesus meets him right in that place he needs. I think Thomas gets a raw deal. He is known as Doubting Thomas, but I think he should be known as Honest and Courageous Thomas because he was real about his doubts. He would not just believe because his friends told him. He wanted to believe for himself, otherwise he would not choose it. Now that's deep faith, that's real engagement. God is not superficial, he wants to work in the depth of your heart. I came across a quote from a woman who talks about this sort of faith, this real faith, this deep faith. Her name is Mad Madeleine L'Engle, a beautiful author, an amazing poet, and she's a theologian. She talks about this sort of real faith where Thomas meets Jesus. Those who believe, they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. Most times, it's the superficial. But Jesus will not allow Thomas to live in superficiality. He wants him to get down and dirty. He says, there's my hands. A man who was tortured and beaten, a man who was abused beyond even human understanding. You might have seen during the week in the Turin Shroud, they basically did a 3D animation of what Jesus' body would have looked like based on the bloodstains from the shroud. His hands, his side, his feet, holes in them, and he says, put your hands in there, Thomas. Don't just believe Peter, don't just believe Nathaniel, don't just believe Bartholomew, put your hands in there. And the beautiful part of it is that it was messy, but Jesus waited a whole week for, for Thomas to actually engage with them. God will wait for you and wait and wait, but he won't wait for superficiality. He wants depth. And this is what happened to Thomas, and this is what the reading is about. And so doubt is very important in our faith, but we can't let doubt devour us or control us. Jesus says, do not doubt, believe. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet come to believe, and that's us today. You see, if doubt controls us, you see, Thomas was a skeptic, and I think skepticism isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, he was asking really good questions. But in psychology, and something I was talking to a friend of mine about during the week is that, you can deteriorate in your doubt from skepticism to cynicism and even into rebellion. And Thomas was a skeptic and, and God met him in that place. But if we become cynics or if we even become rebellious, and by the way, all these people are in the Bible and they all found a way back to God, the cynics and the rebellious. But if doubt is at the center of our heart without it being a healthy way of questioning in this place of wanting to believe, it actually can push us away. 
Give a, give a skeptic a hug. This is what my friend said to me during the week. Give a skeptic a hug and they will doubt you really mean it. Give a cynic a hug and they will check for their wallet afterwards. <laughs> a rebel doesn't even want a hug. And so I think in the story of Thomas and in this passage today, we have a choice to look at the superficial level, which is nice, and that God meets us and brings us peace, that he restores our soul, that he breeds the spirit on us. Or we can actually be bold and courageous like Thomas to go to the deeper level and ask who Jesus really is in our lives. Do we really believe in him? And do we really trust in him? Because Jesus will meet you there. Jesus met Thomas there. And he invites us to that place where he says, do not doubt but believe. So let's pray. Father, in this season of Eastertide, in this season of dealing with the resurrection, struggling with the resurrection, help us not be a people who live simply on the surface. Help us to be courageous like Thomas, to go deep to not just believe for the sake of it, but be courageous to put our hands in the wounds, to be honest about our struggles. And Lord, as you reorientated the whole of creation on the cross and through your resurrection, God, can we fall in love again with this story of true flourishing, this story where you make all things new. And Lord, I pray today as we're listening that your Holy Spirit will breathe on us and bring us deeper. Whether we've heard this for the first time or for the millionth time, whether we're a Peter or a Thomas or a Mary, breathe your peace upon us, Lord, not just superficially, would change our hearts and our souls and our minds. And Lord, help us to build our lives on this promise and build our lives on true faith and not just the faith of others. And we pray this together as family in Jesus' name.